0: Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.
1: I've got a fucking gun and I shot myself. <laughs> <laughs> we can arrange raise that, bro. <laughs> Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the A Report podcast in association with the Sonic Root Soup Kitchen. It's Gav, and, well, I don't really want to mention what the score in the last game was, but I have to, aren't there? We've got beat 4-0 off Niddlesbury. And since you last spoke to us, I uh, heard us even, we also beat Watford in that time. But unfortunately, uh, it's this last result which leaves a sour taste in our mouth. And also with me today is Chris. Hiya, mate. Are you chipper or are you down in the dumps after that shit shit show on Saturday?
2: <laughs> I mean, we've really had to twist our arms to to do this and actually talk about yeah. it. Cause, uh... Yeah. Yeah, actually, I mean, we, we did think about doing it straight after and just sacked it off because um, I, I don't think... Yeah, I, te- I texted
1: you on me way out of <laughs> the ground just saying, no, thank you. <laughs>
2: and I agreed. <laughs> and I've
1: spent, yeah, I've spent the last day and a half or whatever it's been since the end of the game ignoring Sunderland, really. I've just kind of left my phone in a, in a room that's away from us and tried to ignore all of the conversation about the game. And yeah... I don't feel great after this one, put it that way. And as I said to you before, we hit record, we aren't going to go into this, really this performance in finite detail like we normally would, like analysing everything that went on, because I feel like it's just a bit pointless in many ways and more the, the story of the occasion is probably what people are going to be more interested to hear our thoughts on. Because if I'm honest, I haven't seen the highlights back. Um, obviously, I was there in real time. I stayed right till the end. I was one of about 5,000 people <laughs> still left in the ground at the end of the game. But I couldn't tell you anything about the goals, really, other than a couple of vague memories that I've got because I just kind of blanked it out. I was just pissed off walking away from the ground. And I imagine you were the same watching it, pissed off, not necessarily with, you know, where you might come away from a 4-0 defeat and think, Christ, the team was shite today or whatever. I yeah. just, just felt pissed off because it felt like the game was totally spoiled by a refereeing decision or two or, or three, you know, it wasn't just the Dan Neal one, and we'll get into this, but it wasn't just the Dan Neal one. It was the afters from the the Coburn elbow, the blatant elbow on Ballard and the, then the headbutt on Trey Hume and, nice. you know, the bad tackle from Sam Greenwood. And
2: it's all coming back. Actually,
1: it's all flooding backwards now, <laughs> yeah. you know, the offside <laughs> for the third goal, I think it was. And, yeah, you know, we were really, I think we were really done over by refs and, and assistants and, I think there is aspects of the decision-making on the day that we could and should have got better, and that's mainly down with the coaching staff and Tony Mowbray. But the thing that underlines everything was the decision to send off Dan Neal for telling the referee. He just swore at the referee because he didn't agree with the decision. And, I mean, I'll get your thoughts on it because I, I, I'm i just baffled. And it wasn't the only bad refing decision along those lines. Over the weekend, I mean, there's been numerous ones cropping up and people pointing out that the standard of refereeing in this country is just not good enough. And this was one of the examples and it was live on Sky for everyone to see, which is why I think a lot of pundits and people outside of Sunderland are talking about it. I mean, I even seen one of the Wigan players commenting on it on Twitter, which has um, went viral because he's just baffled like everybody else about why referees think this is a good way to referee a game. But... Yeah, that that decision to send off Dan Neil was what ultimately uh, defined the game, wasn't
2: it? Oh, complete. Well, yeah, the, it wasn't. It wasn't Sunderland nil, Middlesbrough four in a football match where both sides were slugging away at each other because th- those first forty-five minutes showed what that would look like until Dan Neil got sent off, and yeah, in my eyes, with, with that first half, because it was a, it was a, you know. Let's just let's just do before red card and after red card. So it's not necessarily first half, second half, but before red card, after red card, before Dan Neal got sent off. It was two of the best sides in the championship really slogging away at each other. And it was a really it was a good game. It was a bit of a it was cagey. Both sides kind of trying to probe each other. And it, yeah, it was. I mean, Middlesbrough are a good side. I mean, they they will not be down there at the end of the season. They will be. I think they no, you you they're can see you can side. see
1: or you can't. Yeah, I, I don't know whether it was just the case that they lost a lot of good players and brought in a lot of other players, which is why they maybe started the season slowly. But they're not a bad team. I thought they're not around well first fifteen minutes. And like you say, you know, based on that fifteen minutes, I think it would have been a. You know, a fairly competitive game right till the end. And yeah, I thought we, ed- we edged it first half, but definitely seen enough from Middlesbrough to say they're a decent team.
2: Oh, 100%. I mean, their high press gave us a few problems and they were quite good in possession early on. I think for the first five minutes, Borough just kind of kept possession to try and control the game a little bit and try and dictate the pace. And then we we put our uh stamped our authority on it a little bit, and we we kind of pushed forward a little bit after that. But it, like I said, I just think I just think it was two really good sides, Re, just yeah, just kind of probing at each other and just kind of feeling each other out for weaknesses. It wasn't hammering tongs. It wasn't you know it wasn't hundred miles an hour. It was just two good sides, and it was just spoiled. Actually, it would have been. I think there would have only been a goal in it either way if if a team had nicked it. Otherwise, it quite likely would have ended up nil nil because. To be fair, in that first half, there weren't really that many good chances from either side. Actually, I also think in that first half we played better than we did against Watford. I thought we actually the performance was more solid, which it had to be because Middlesbrough are a much better side than Watford, so we had to step it up. Hmm. But uh, but we did, yeah. And like I say, I mean, look, do we want to get in the red card now or not?
1: Yeah, <laughs> I mean... we've got, we've got to. I think it's the only I think it's the main, it's the main talking point coming out of the game. And it, like I say, it underpinned everything which happened after it because Dan Neil is the only out and out central midfielder on the pitch, or in even in the squad. Really, Um I mean, obviously you can make a case for Rigan or Nyan, and yeah, we might get onto that. But Dan Neil is the linchpin of that midfield. He's been before this game. I was saying he was the most consistent player in the squad all season. He's been a seven, eight out of ten in every game, pretty much. So to lose him was defining, and it was always going to be because the first yellow card he picks up, I think it's rash, but it's a yellow card. I've seen those kind of tackles given as very soft red cards before, but in an occasion like that, you know, a big game, you're expecting the referee to to let one or two of those go a little bit more softly than he might ordinarily. But it's a yellow card. And, yeah, you're thinking, I mean, I turned to my mate and I'm saying, you know, he's on a tightrope now, he's going to have to watch himself. We all said it. But I didn't expect him to get sent off for something like that. Mm. If if it, had been a, if it had been a tackle where he's went in rash, you know, then I would have said, yeah, fair enough. He shouldn't have done it. He shouldn't have dove in. But if you watch up until that point, Chris, there was a couple of times where Burr had done us on the turnover and counterattacked, mm. And Neil knew he couldn't tackle, he was being careful. And this has happened not just numerous times over the season, but numerous times this weekend where players have been on yellow cards and then referees have sent them off for pointless shit. And I, I don't know if you saw the one which the uh, the Man City women player who took 11 seconds to take a free kick and got a second yellow piece and it was sent off. And you think, what the hell's going on now? Like, have referees lost the plot? Is there, is there no common sense? Because... There's, how many times would you book players in a game of football if you sent them off for swearing at a referee? It happens in every game, multiple times, and it's just it's part of the th- it's part of the process. I, I listened to a under the Cosh episode the other week where they had Mark Halsey on, and he was saying about how players respected him because they used to give him shit and he would give it them back. Mm. And that it just feels like maybe that that generation of of officials have gone because this guy who officiated this game. I mean, you can't be sending people off for, da- for something as daft as that. If he was right in his face, screaming in his face, then I would understand it. But he's 20 yards away and it's pretty innocuous. I don't, I, I don't get I would love to talk to the referee and ask what his thought process was because he's going to be under the microscope now going forward. Every time somebody swears at him and it's caught on camera, is he going to book them? Because he, he, set, an, he set a precedent which I don't think can be followed up. It's mental that you're even booking players for something as daft as that and I don't know. Feels like the game's gone. We we've done this for the last couple of years now, like talking about officials, and we've kind of we talked about the fact that it's just part and parcel now. You just have to accept that referees are gonna be poor. But this is another level. This isn't like last season where we weren't getting free kicks and penalties for obvious fouls and we were sitting here going, How the hell they're not gave that? This is another level on top. That's swearing from 20 yards away. It's just berserk. And anybody who appropriates any blame to Dan Neil after that for standing up for himself and his teammates and just saying it's not a fucking foul or whatever it was, or it's not a fucking free kick, I can't remember what it was, but he swore. If anybody thinks he's to blame for that, you're just as bad as the, as the referees because it's just part of football. You must never have kicked a ball if you've if you've never swore at an official before if you've ne- if, you, if you don't just think that's part of the game i'm honest you can tell this is pent up and I, you can tell i've really ignored this for the last couple of days i'm really fucked off with this like go on, and go on i just don't get it chris i don't get it well,
2: look for me for me it all boils down to one word and it's consistency because you've just uh, mentioned the women's man city game but You could also point to the men's Man City game against Arsenal, for the but for the complete opposite was um, Kovacic, for Man City who had two who had um, two two tackles that were nailed on both of them yellow card first one arguably a red, but the referee in that one thought he thought the second one was it a yellow was it not, and actually he kept eleven men on the field because it would thought it would spoil the game. If it was that, if that was his first tackle, it was a yellow card. So he showed a little bit of leniency just to keep eleven men against eleven in a top, you know, Premier League game and not to spoil it. Um, and it's it's consistency and the whole Dan Dan Neal thing came out of consistency or a lack of it because the first twenty, I'd say twenty minutes, half an hour of the game, I I, I actually thought the ref didn't have too bad a game in terms of the fouls he was given. Because actually, in if you look back at that first 20 minutes, half an hour, he was giving us all the niggly little things. Like every time one of our players went down, he was blown up saying, yep, no, oh, that's a foul. There was one time I think 0-9 kind of basically completely won a free kick on the touchline and the referee blew blew for a foul. It was never a foul. So that was the first 20, 30 minutes. And for some reason, around that 20, 30 minute mark, he stopped doing it. And then he in the middle of the game he raised the bar to where a free kick was and he stopped blowing up for those little things so and then when it came to dan neal so we would had about 10 15 minutes of the referee not blowing up for things he was blown up for in the first 20 minutes and then because there was a foul on jack clark just near the touchline and that's what dan neal was was hammering him about or you know saying why, right, why, yeah. why was that not an f and foul because in the first 20 minutes that was a foul and then in, this, in the second half of the, mm. the first half, it wasn't a foul. And this is the ridiculous thing that, that like, how many times now, Gav, in, in pods, I, I'd go throughout the whole of last season, me and you have talked about consistency. Like, the referees being consistent from not even from one week to the next, but from one half to the next. Like, if this, like, for me, a referee in the first 15 minutes of a game, Whenever they blow the whistle, it's a signal to the players, this is what a free kick is. This is where I've got the bar for a foul.
1: Even before that, Chris, if yeah. you listen to Tony Mowbray, they had a meeting with the referee before exactly. the game who said he was going to be lenient. So, he'll have went in there and said, look, the ref's going to be lenient. Give as good as you get. You know what I mean? It's it, yeah. If he set his stall out even before the game with the coaches, then... He's got to stick by that, yeah. And it's right. You're right. What you're saying. No consistency whatsoever. It's, you can understand. I bet Tony Mowbray wanted to say a lot more than he could afterwards oh, because I, I, you'd feel like you had been fucked over by yeah. the ref in that instance, wouldn't you? Yeah. You've been promised something and you delivered something completely different, and yeah. How does he explain that? They, they they don't they don't. I mean, we're we're talking about it now. It's been talked about in the media. It was talked about on Sky after the game. We're going to be talking about this for a long time because it was such a contentious decision that he made at what point does the referee have to stand up to any scrutiny and be put in front of, of Tony Mowbray or or anybody and explain his decision he, he never will be and this is the problem they do it and then they move on to the next game the next week and nobody finds out the reasoning what or why, It's it's we, we come away from it and we're just pissed off with the officials and he'll get another game next week two weeks time whenever they're back in this league or higher, I think he's ref in the Premier League. This fella craziness,
2: yeah. I mean, well, I, I do know that they apparently, and I don't know how true this is, but from what I was reading, they apparently put more channels in between them and the PGM OL to you know make, make complaints. And clubs can actually put official kind of complaints in about referees and things like that more than they could. But like, like I said, I agree with you, not enough is done on that front. but... The other thing, I mean, you're talking about him explaining his decision, but the problem is because it was so inconsistent, all he can say was, well, this player did this. And you can say, right, OK, that's your reasoning. But the problem is you can show him that 90 minutes and you can show probably six or seven other occasions when other players did it. So how, he can't justify it. You can only... Mm. T- and again, it comes back to consistency. If you're going to do that all the time, and it, we talked about it as well, that this season, the opening two weeks was full of this. It was full of players getting yellow cards for tapping the ball three yards and all this sort of stuff. And again, talking about consistency, about five or six weeks into the season, they stopped doing that. So yeah, you're talking about Dan Neil doing this. First two weeks, it was a yellow card. And then for the last three weeks, it hasn't been. And now suddenly he's getting a yellow card and there's five or six other players doing it on the pitch and they're not getting a yellow card. It ends up just being referees making it up as they go along. And that's not right. My annoyance with it comes back to them trotting out that it's the law. And I don't know if you saw Mike Dean on Gillette Saturday with having that argument with Paul Merson, where he just kept repeating... He just kept repeating, "It's the laws. It's a lot Because Paul Merson's argument was, "Well, because you know it's the wrong decision, just stop the game." And Mike Dean was saying, "No, it's the laws. We can't do it." So basically, they're saying that the laws wrap them up so much they can't use common sense. And I'll just use a, and there is a point to using this, but I mean, my my son's team under tens, like a goalkeeper came out. There was nobody within twenty yards of him, and he was trying to be, he was trying to like be kind of professional about it, you know. A young kid, 10-year-old, came out and shouted mine and picked the ball up. The referee gave a free kick 10 yards out from goal because of it. Even the coaches from the other team were saying, look, just behave, just give them, you know, have a word and then carry on. The other parents of the team were even saying, that's ridiculous. But the referee honestly turned around and said, yeah, but it's the laws and we're supposed to push this sort of thing. And the point of the story is... if. The same is happening at grassroots levels with referees. It's happening at the top level when they get power hungry, they always come back to their well, it's the rules. it's the laws. But the problem yeah. is when you when you do that and you follow the law you know to the letter, then you you lose some of the game and you you ruin games. I mean, like I said that um it was uh, the referee in the man city. Arsenal game was Oliver. Can't remember his first name. Michael Oliver. Yes, that's it. But because of that yellow card was kind of you know it was on the line. It probably was a yellow card, but he kept his pocket. Yeah. He kept his card in his pocket, and you know some referees would have given it. Some would have. I, I would again argue it's a yellow. But he tried to use common sense, and sometimes it's just you know referees need to look and go, you know, for this small little thing. I'm going to completely ruin this game of football, and you've got again and then you've got to come back to the fact that at the root of it yes we all get emotionally involved but at the root of it it's entertainment and if you're going to spoil and you know if you're going to spoil something that's meant to entertain and be competitive just because you feel like it or you're in the mood to follow the law in that particular moment but not in 5 minutes not in 10 minutes when it, the same thing happens then something's majorly wrong with how you're doing it and 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 the and the, the are getting in such a fix at the minute that actually uh, you can almost see a big change coming.
1: Yeah, oh, and and just on the on the game and I, I briefly mentioned it before. You know about consistency. He books Josh Coburn at the end of the first half for uh, for the melee that he caused when he when he elbowed Dan Ballard. Yeah. What what was he booked for? Because it was an elbow, and then he and then he throws ahead at Trey Hume. Yeah, surely somebody, surely. The linesman, the fourth official who were on that side, they're, they're literally five yards from what went on. There's a linesman, a fourth official, and then a referee at the back of it. Surely one of them saw what happened.
2: Yeah, the camera went on the referee and he wasn't even looking in that direction. He wasn't Ugh. even looking no. in the direction. And and he, I mean, Corburn, basically, and the yellow card for Corburn was the referee guessing because he didn't see it. Yeah. So even that yellow card for Corburn, which should have been a red, and, and he, mm. he booked Ballard, Forget an elbowed,
1: <laughs> <laughs> but like I say, the fourth official and the assistant are are, are much closer than the ref. There was a, it was a decision quite early in the first half, I think, where it was clearly our throw in, and the ref overruled the linesman who was right in front of it to give it to Middlesbrough. There was just so many occasions in the game he didn't have a grip on it at all, and. It was clearly too big of an occasion for him, I think, because he just he was he, like you. You summed it up perfectly. He was making it up as he went along. I just don't yeah. think he he had a clue what was going on. And this is the guy who was brought over from Australia, who was you know the next big thing in refereeing and all the rest of it. I actually, to in the interest of decency and all the rest of it, I think I've praised him before for in Sunland. I, I can't remember which game it was, but it clearly wasn't as uh, an occasion as big as this. And I don't know what it was, but he just had a an off date. And I know they've chalked a lot of this. So, I mean, the aftermath of that Spurs and Liverpool game the other week where there was just a massive error made by the whole team of officials from on the pitch to the VR assistants and everything. And it was chalked up to human error. And there's, there's only so many times you can chalk this up to human error. This is more than human error. When you when you're just seeing this across the board, you mentioned there all the way down to under tens football, all the way up to the WSL. We're just talking about stuff that's happened this weekend yeah. in the WSL between the two top teams at that level, in the Premier League between Arsenal and Man City, the top two teams in this division. In our game, which is a in quotations a derby, which is a big occasion, and you do referee, you're supposed to at least referee those games a little bit more leniently. Because, you know, there's a little bit more tension on the pitch and players are going for it and all the rest of it. And if you want to see a, a fair, flowing game of football, you have to let certain things go. I just... It, it It's really, really... I don't want to say getting us down, but, like... I just... We're spending too much time collectively as football fans across the world talking about bad officiating. And it's like, where do you start? Because... It's like it needs a root and branch removal type overhaul of the whole thing to try and get a grip on just really substandard, subpar decision makers who really get away with it scot-free, don't they? Let's be honest. I mean, This guy's going to walk into another game after this and we've got to lick our wounds. And we might have lost the game anyways, but it's not the point. It's ruining games of football across the board. I'm not just talking about Sunland, because there's probably been games a season where we've got Decisions we shouldn't have, but this just feels like a really, really big one, doesn't it? Like if this was in the Premier League, it'll have got just as much coverage oh, as yeah. Yeah. as that Liverpool Tottenham mistake last week, which was even up until yesterday they were still talking about it on the radio. I mean, it it it's craziness, and like I say, it just feels like we're going nowhere as a as a game.
2: Let's say the same thing happened to Dan Neal as it did to a player in the Man City Arsenal game. Top of the Premier League, let's say they lost a player in the same manner as Dan Nail got sent off, they would be talking about it for a fortnight. They'd almost be calling it kind of almost like a title decision. Yeah. Title deciding referee decision because it was so ridiculous. Because they they almost kind of would have decided a game because the referee was in a mood in that particular moment. Basically that he did he didn't fancy <laughs> he, he, he basically felt a bit soft for a couple of seconds because he was getting he was being asked why it wasn't a foul, but then the same tackle was a foul 20 minutes ago. So somebody's asking the question, why are you not refereeing this game consistently? You know, why is that not a foul? Because it was 10 minutes ago. If he'd done that in the Man City Arsenal game, it would be all over the papers. It would be non-stop on Sky Sports for a week. The referee would get demoted, you know, just like the VAR referee and his assistant who got dumped for, I think they're, they're out for three weeks or something like that. The same thing would have happened to him, but in the championship, because it's not it's not high profile and it's only Sunderland and it's only Middlesbrough, it's like, ah well, you know, you'll just have to take it. And it's ridiculous because a decision, and it's not, it, let's just face it, this is how the world works. A bad decision at the top of the Premier League should be dealt with the same all the way through the top four divisions who are dealt with by the same organisation, but it's not. And it's, that's just that's just the honest facts. That's just the way of the world. It's money.
1: Here's one for you then. How, how much do you think that sort of inability to bend the rules with common sense is down to the introduction of VAR and the fact that referees are now being trained to referee the letter of the law? Like if a decision gets referred to VAR, yeah. they do not apply common sense. They apply the letter of the law. And it's almost like this new wave of sort of Decision making has completely clouded the way games are ref. Like this didn't happen ten, fifteen years ago. Yes, there was bad officiating, but a referee was the man in charge. The man in the middle was the man in charge, and he had the ability to sort of dictate from the first minute. We've always had bad officiating, but it just feels like it's got even worse in the last two, three years. And I, and I I always bring it back this VAR thing. Like like is this influencing football in more than just? the way we see it in the top flight and in international football where they've got the ability to refer decisions. Is it now because the likes of this fella, Hale have been in VAR rooms. Have, they'll have all been briefed in how to do it. They'll all be trained. I, I just feel as though it's changed the way the game's being officiated now. Yeah, And you know we're in this situation now. We've got VAR. It's always going to be there. And I don't know if I'm just ignorant to it, but you, it almost feels like you don't. You don't seem to get this in international football in Spain, in Italy, in Germany. We don't hear about it it always comes back to the premier league and in english football and i do wonder how much influence that VR is actually having across the across the spectrum when it comes to refereeing and the amount of bad decisions we're suddenly seeing like of this scale
2: well once again gaff you're going to make us uh, sound old because uh, it's it's no no secret that i am older than you but <laughs> you you go it's it, you're right bad officials have always been there but if you go back and i'm i'm tying in your point with the fact that the game's changed, not just the officiating, the game has changed. You go back to the late 80s, early 90s, the era of um, you know, the, the Vinnie Joneses and all this sort of stuff. And I'm sure if you speak to older people, they'll go back even further to the, you know, the Norman Hunters of the world and all this sort of stuff. Referees progressively, decade after decade, have needed to blow their whistle more in games. If you go back to the 70s and 80s, the bar was so high for a free kick. I think actually a modern day referee didn't they watch the seventy three cup final and they ended up sending three or four players off by uh, like the first <laughs> in the first forty five minutes Aye. or something.
1: That, that tick, tackle Richie Pitt makes ah, right at the start of the a, game is a red, a red card. card yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. a red
2: card. But that's what I mean. Like the referees now, because the game is what it is, they have to blow their whistle every two seconds. Now they think, oh well, hang on, there's contact. It, every time there's contact, the question is, is it a foul? Whereas thirty years ago, it was hang on, has he has he absolutely smashed him? Is it worthy of a free <laughs> you kick? You
1: had to commit GBH to get a get a free I kick. I mean, yeah.
2: John, K, John K wouldn't be a professional footballer like nowadays because he wouldn't have gotten away with it. It's as <laughs> simple as that. Like his game was built around those sort of tackles. You can't do that anymore. So referees have got to blow their whistle more. And because I honestly think they're almost at the point where they're confused about what a free kick is. And we talked last season, you know, last season suddenly they almost reset things last season and they said right now stop blowing your whistle for all the little fiddly stuff a free kick a foul has got the bar's got to be up here to give a free kick it's got to be a you've got to know that it's a foul not just a little niggly bit of thing and he goes down and you blow your whistle you've got to know that it's a free kick so they started to do that last season and progressively throughout the season they stopped doing it and they went back to the old mm. the old way of doing it and almost forgot that they were told to do it And this season, they're having another attempt at doing it and then they've added the extra bits like they're tapping the ball away as a yellow and we're going to give, you know, first two weeks, you saw 10 minutes of injury time every single game and now we're not. So it's almost like the referees start off with the the intentions of that they've been told and then creep into what they were doing a year ago because they can't really be bothered to keep up with what they've been told to do. But the problem is then... You get some referees who are on it; they keep to that, and some referees who stop doing it. So you know, from one week to the next, you haven't got a clue what you're going to get. And every referee, the, the players probably turn up this week, every week, see who the referee is, and go, "All oh, right, so it's going to be that type of game," which is ridiculous. It's nonsense. Like the the referees should mm. they should know when to blow their whistle. And this thing with Dan Neil, Dan Neil will do exactly the same in three or four weeks. And it won't be a yellow card.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I hope it doesn't change him as a player because no, 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 he's no. probably going to be second guessing himself all the time now. <laughs> um, I hope, I hope he doesn't. But yeah, I mean, we've we've spent ages here talking about refereeing decisions, and actually, that red card decision took the shine off several other bad ones. I mean, we've already mentioned the 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 Coburn elbow then headbutt. There was an incident with Sam Greenwood, which was a bad tackle, yeah. which he was lucky.
2: Crooks could have easily been sent off. as well. Um, yeah. The Tommy Smith one when he pulled back Jack Clark, no yellow card. Roberts did the same in the second half, yellow yes. card.
1: Ridiculous. Yeah.
2: Absolutely yeah. ridiculous.
1: And uh, there was the offside for was it their third goal again? I haven't seen them. Before. Oh,
2: even the linesmen had given up by that point. I think. <laughs> I mean, that yeah. was that was that offside was just the icing on the cake, wasn't it? Because <laughs> even yeah. I, even I saw it because in full speed, but I at that point the game was up. But I just went, oh, that's offside. And then mm. they kept on playing. I went, ah, oh, they haven't given it. You know why? Why should I even think that they might have given a decision? Because uh...
1: exactly. The only other thing about the game I actually want to talk about, right? So we under, we we've we've kind of underlined this now. We know why the game went. Got it, it off our chest. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but but and it's a big but because I don't want to be appropriating blame. I, I think you know if that doesn't happen. We don't lose that game, in my opinion. But we had to deal with that. We went into halftime. Yeah. We we went in there and we had to deal with it. And we had 15 minutes to change whatever we needed to change to make sure that we we stayed in the game and, and hopefully got something out of it. Do you think Tony Mowbray did the right thing in playing the way he played, putting the players on that he put on? I mean, well, I know what you're going to probably say here, but... Did, we, in my opinion, we didn't, we didn't deal with that well enough. We kind of went out there with the attitude, we're going to just outplay them in the second half. But with 10 men, that's very difficult against a very motivated team. And I looked at it at half time and my mates are sitting there. And I said, Well, what would you do? And I, I looked at it and I thought, Well, I would normally never advocate this, but I think we've got to move 09 in the midfield. We don't have any other midfield players, we've got centre halves on the bench. Let's just reorganise. At least put a team out in the second half, who everybody knows their job. They're pretty organised. We're not going to leave ourselves short in any any you know particular position. And it almost felt like we were a little bit cocky and just decided to go well. You know, shit or bust. Basically, let's put some attacking players on and and go for it a bit more and I just think we were there for the for the tape. in the end Borough were like vultures around a carcass we were just so easily picked at and I don't think we did ourselves enough justice there we could have handled that whole situation a lot better and like I say I'm not blaming Mowbray I'm not blaming the players I think you know they were dealt a really shitty hand by some bad decision making however could we have done better with what we did?
2: Easy, I think. I think Mowbray got it completely wrong at halftime. I, I think he. I don't think he gave the players a chance. I don't think the players believed in the plan, because they, they, they came out with a complete lack of belief. Bizarrely, by going to a back five, he actually made us more vulnerable defensively, by putting Clark at left back. Which was just ridiculous. Yeah. We would have we would have been much more solid by keeping a back four than we would have by going to a back five. And yeah. And and I don't know what he was asking Clark to do because it was ridiculous. I mean, in the end, because we we're playing a back five, there, there wasn't a there wasn't a wide man in front of him, because they were playing more centrally in, in front of the, the back five. And it meant Clark was not only outnumbered every time, but when he was one-on-one, um, that lad Jones. Left him for dead because Clark isn't a fullback; yeah. he's not a defender. And it that have, was
1: that was suicidal. To was. be honest, that putting putting Clark up against their best oh, dribbler, the quickest player, it just made no sense. It made
2: and it, and a I mean, our best attacking player. You're putting them further back, <laughs> like towards our own goal, and it's just so. Like I said, we would have been we would have been more solid defensively with a with a back four rather than trying yeah. to put three central defenders in. I don't know why. I don't know why he did it. And, and you know, sealed even though it's clearly not his um, natural position playing uh, full-back, but in that situation, that's probably what you needed full-back, someone who's just going to defend, yeah, yeah. who doesn't care about getting forward. You actually, you know, you, you want your fullbacks when you're a man down to just say, you just stay there, don't go wandering. And he wouldn't have wanted to. He would have preferred to have just, you know, mm-hmm. I'm a defender, I'm going to defend. Um, and having Clark on the other side, and they tortured us, down our left hand side because you would have been so. I mean, after five minutes, if you were if you were Jack Clark, you'd have been screaming at the bench saying you need to change something because he just wasn't given a chance. And but and it seemed to go on throughout the whole of the the second half. We didn't really think, hang on, this is not really working. Putting our best attacking player as a left back, and and then the the other the other end of the pitch, we brought off Burstow, who. All right, he's you know he hasn't kind of set the world on fire, but one thing he has done, you know, not too bad, is hold the ball up. So we actually bring Burstow off and put Barr on up front to try and hold the ball up and get us out.
1: And then eventually Chris Rigg. I mean,
2: absolute, no sense. absolutely ridiculous. But Burstow, he's, he's probably his best attribute that he's been using while he's been with us is that shielding the ball and holding it up and keeping it, keeping possession. But then we stick Bar up, who was half the size of their defenders, and he didn't stand. He looked like a he looked like a bear trying to chase after the ball up front. It's absolutely ridiculous. And even then, it took us it took us after to the hour mark. And I think what well, it must have been. I think well, I think it was two 0 by that point. Um, I think we didn't change it until after we went two nil down. But I think even before then. Ballard was just absolutely ridiculous in, in trying to keep them out. I mean, he was, for me, best player on the pitch. Uh, he was just ridiculous, Ballard. But yeah, I I, I don't think Mowbray gave them a chance. And, and don't get us wrong, I think Middlesbrough were that good. I don't think it might have changed. I, I don't think it would have been 4-0, but I think Borough would have still taken advantage because they were, they were a good side, well-organised, and they stretched the play, they, the width they, they had. When they were a man up, meant that we were going to struggle anyway. But Mowbray didn't do the lads any favors.
1: No, I'm expecting an experienced coach in that situation to realise you've got to be organised at least. Mm-hmm. And I'd like say we might have got beat. Yeah, and I mean to, to sort of Mowbray's mantra is he, you know, he's going to play the way he wants to play, whether we win four 0 or lose four 0 And I, and I kind of I do respect that. I just think in that that is a very unusual situation we were faced with there, in that. You know, ordinarily you wouldn't have one fifth central midfield player in your entire squad and he gets sent off, and then you've got, got to then sort of reorganize your team. But I just, when, when I was sat down at half time, I was mapping it out, I was thinking, right, well, you've got you put Hume over at a left back, he, he's played there before, he plays there for his country, he yeah. knows how to play left back, exactly. You put Ballard alongside uh Sealt maybe or Triantis, bring on Triantis anyways, and have either Triantis or Sealt at right back, so at least you've got like a back four. And everybody knows their job in that situation. And then ahead of them, move O9 in the midfield. Not ideal. I know we've got a good central defensive pair in there and he trusts them. But we didn't have another central midfield player. I know nine's played, you know, hundreds of games as a central midfield player or over 100 games or whatever. Bring on Rig to play alongside him. Rig does play central midfield. You know, maybe he has hasn't played there so often for the first team, but needs must. He knows the position. He can at least play there with O'Neill and take his his leadership and, and you know he knows he knows where to be as a centre midfield player. Do you know what I mean? That is that is quite important. Um and then I thought ahead of him, put Bellingham up front. We've seen him play there and he can at least hold it up. Yep. If we were going to take Bursto off, put Bellingham up there, and then either side have Clark and Roberts, or Clark, or even if you're gonna take somebody off. Take Roberts off and put Bar there, who can drop into the midfield, who's a bit more got, you know, a bit more defensive awareness than than Roberts does. To me, that that was the most I just thought that was staring right. us in the face. That was the most glaring thing to do was to make that couple of changes, keep the team organized. And if we got beat, it wouldn't have been through lack of organization. It would have been through just being simply outclassed by a team with an extra player. I just felt when I looked at the team that he had out there, I mean the amount of times he changed it after each goal we conceded. Oshish played about 10 positions. I think Barr played about 10 positions. Uh, Hume moved two or three times around the defence. Clark, like you say, was at left back. The best attacking player on the pitch yeah. playing left back. Yeah. It was d- disastrous. I just, I don't know whether we just caught got caught being a little bit too clever. And like I say, I don't want anybody listening to this to think we're really blaming them. I'm not coming away from this game thinking, no, Mowbray needs to sort it out. Mowbray is this. Mowbray. No, no, none of that. No. I think they were dealt a shitty hand. All I'm saying is we do have to be fair and have a conversation about the way we handled that situation going into the second half. And I think that's why we got battered in the end. I don't think that happens with a more organised starting 10 yeah. <laughs> rather than 11. Um, and, you know, but Borough, we're always going to smell blood. Let's that's, that's yeah, be yeah. fair. They, were, they, they, were, they had 15 minutes to think about what they were going to do to 10 men. Mm. That is dangerous. But we should have known that and we should have made sure we were ready for it. Yeah.
2: But I, I'm like you, though. I'm not, I'm not seeing any of this in hindsight. Everything we're talking about now, I, I thought when, when the players came back out, and I saw what we were trying to do and and when Burstow came off and bar went up and I saw bar as the the kind of the focal point up top to try and get us out I, I couldn't understand it then so i'm not saying it after we conceded four goals and then saying oh there was a problem <laughs> like just because yeah. we conceded four goals it was plain it was plain for anybody watching the game Clark wasn't a full fullback, and he wasn't. He was getting done. He was he was left on his backside a couple of times by by Jones, and it, the whole thing the whole thing was just bizarre. But but the other the other weird thing is as well that when Huggins went off after the half hour, when I was looking at the subs, I was wondering what he might do because when when Huggins went down, you hadn't seen who was going to come on. I actually thought he might have brought Taylor on because
1: played left back. Yeah, I yeah. mean,
2: but but that's the thing. You, you stick a fullback on the bench. And then when one you, of your fullbacks gets injured, you stick a big centre off a fullback. And I, I was kind of mm. I was thinking at, at that point, what's the point in sticking a fullback on, on, on the bench if you're gonna bring one of your big centre offs? Because I have to admit, Sealt, Sealt looks and the way he plays, he's a central defender. He is not yeah. a fullback. And There's the, not
1: many six foot five right backs, is there? Uh, no, <laughs> and, and
2: he looks he looks like he could be a you know a crack central defender. He's built like it. He's, he defends uh, do like it. You know
1: it, what it is actually be, before the red card, I thought he had some nice touches. He played some decent passes out from the back. He looked all right. Yeah, you know I, I don't I, I wouldn't have had a problem with him playing right back if he was just sitting in to defend. Uh, he looked okay to be honest, but you're right. He's not a full-back. He's no, a centre half. No. You can just see by a mile. And,
2: and he needs he needs a lot of minutes because um, the the, yeah, the yeah. opening the first goal. He was caught on his toes. He was he was way off the, the pace when the ball got played in. He was like a few yards behind Greenwood. And then the second goal, he got on the wrong side. I think he's a good player, I think he'll be a good player. I think it's fine. It's just he needs minutes. He's not he's not sharp enough. He's not thinking like that yet. You know, you need a run of games before you, you see things like that coming. You know, you need to almost be in that headspace. But uh, I'm a I'm a massive fan of Mowbray, but you know you can't just talk about something like this and if you've got feelings that he got it wrong yeah and he is he's gonna kind of, you know manages to say you know more than anybody else when they have press conferences and all this sort of stuff that you know i got that one wrong or whatever they, they admit it and you know i'm sure when tony Mowbray watches it back he'll think that you know he, he got some of the subs wrong and some of the changes wrong because obviously it ended up 4-0 so something happened something went wrong but yeah, it's it's just one of those days where and I kind of mentioned this the other day that um it was an accumulation of things that happened that was triggered by one big event that led to it to to a 4-0 result.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and like Tony Mowbray said, let's put this one in the bin because I don't really think it deserves any more recognition. <laughs> kind of, we've got to move on, haven't we? We've got to move on and look at. I know the, the problem is, is we've got to wait two weeks till the next game, so we're going to stew on all of this for a, another fortnight or so. But yeah,
2: uh, if I, put, I heard Mowbray say that, and I couldn't completely understand why why he said it, and look, we, we, you know, <laughs> we were opening our hour and whether we actually wanted to talk about this game, but for me, talking about putting it in the bin, you know. If you look again, and I mentioned this earlier on, if you look at the first half, Borough are a very good side. And I thought the first half was great. I thought the first half was a really good performance and I thought the f- the first yeah. half was actually a better performance than when we beat Watford um mm-hmm. and I thought you know you, the, the chance after 10 minutes that bar created for himself I thought that was a cracking shot and it only went a whisker yeah, yeah. over the cross but I thought that was in I know it hit the it hit the post behind the goal didn't it and I actually thought that was in I thought it, I thought that was hitting <laughs> the net but then and then you had the Roberts chance where he weaved his way through. And you know,
1: oh, yeah, Let, let's quickly talk about that. <laughs> he's got to bury that. I mean, that that I turned around to the lads and I was like, that's Roberts in a nutshell. He can do something as magical as that, just skin multiple players like they're not there. But where's the end product? I just want him to like, he's got, I just think he's got to score there. I know a lot of people said it was a good save by the keeper, but oh. I think you've got to bury that personally, like, and it, again. You know, it could have been a different game if we'd scored in the first half. It might have been, it might have played out differently. But I think he's got to score. There was two chances actually in the first half. Since we're on the subject, there was that one, and then there was one where Burstall got played over the top, and he kind of got caught in two minds whether to do something himself or pass it. And he wasted the opportunity. And I'm screaming, shoot, just shoot, shoot, get your shot away. I think a confident centre-forward shoots there, and he's obviously not confident because he hasn't scored yet. Yeah. But they were the two big, big chances. And obviously that Bar one you mentioned, which he fashioned for himself, which that was unlucky.
2: That was a great shot from Barr. I mean, so that yeah. the Bar chance bar chances after 10 minutes. Roberts did his thing after 20 minutes. And like you said, he left. I mean, from where he started with the ball, it was almost a little bit like Huggins the other night from where he started. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And he kind of weaved his way through. He left four players behind him. And he got that close to the goal. That if he just it's almost like he wanted he he done everything so well and it was such a brilliant run. He want he wanted to finish it off with a flourish instead of just finishing it off. Instead of yeah. just instead of just making sure, he wanted to tuck it neatly into the corner rather than just get your laces Put through you it from laces ten through yards. It, yeah. And you said it was a good save. But the problem was he shouldn't have had a chance. The keeper shouldn't, yeah, you, the, from that range, the keeper should not have been anywhere near it. So there was that, that was after 20 minutes, and um, that burst a one after half an hour. So we had it, you know, we had a pretty like a decent kind of chance every, every 10 minutes. Uh, and this is what I'm saying because I, I thought we were quite poor against Watford in terms of creating clear cut chances. And I've been, I've said previously that I think. That's one of our weaknesses. Like We don't, and you talked about Robert's end product, we don't create enough clear-cut chances at home. And actually, I thought we we weren't too bad against Borough. That break that Burstow did, well, the first one, it was on his left foot, and he didn't want it to be on his left foot. He wanted to try and come inside on his, on his right foot and smash it. And the other thing, I can't remember who it was off the top of my head, but the Borough defender, his positioning was perfect. He didn't commit. He, he kept he kept kind of just covering space all the way up until Burstow started to kind of get into the box. And then he cut the space off. And before Burstow knew it, he'd lost all of his options because this defender had positioned himself so well. So to, to be fair, I thought it was it was part good defending and part Burstow not being particularly confident. So it was a combination of the two. But like I said, I'll go back to the point that there was a lot. I wouldn't put this performance completely in the bin. I'd everything after the red card. I think the the co- the coach, and staff, and Tony Mowbray should get themselves in the room and talk about what happened. And if we get a player sent off next time, have a think about it. Don't put clock left back, all that sort of stuff. But the first, <laughs> but the first half, I'd cert, I'd put that on for the players and and take all the good stuff out of it because I think there was a lot of good there. It was a it was a decent performance against a good team until the red card spoke it.
1: Yep. Well, yeah, yeah. That was that was pretty much um, it. Yeah. You know, I can't, while we've talked about what happened after the red card and stuff, I just think it's kind of one of them things. It happens occasionally where you get that pissed off about what's went on, but it ain't going to define the season. We're still going to, you know, I, I was talking to you about this before we before we started. We're fourth still on the table. We're going yeah. to this international break in fourth. If somebody had sent me at the start of the season, when that, Two week break comes up in October for the internationals. Sunderland are going to be in fourth place. I'd have ripped your arm off, absolutely ripped your arm off. I've got no complaints about where we're at. This certainly doesn't define anything, you know. Unlike the Ipswich and Preston games where I thought we played really well and got beat, this is just one of them days. I don't think we're going to think too much about this come the end of the season, you know, unless we maybe miss out on (laughs) promotion by a point. But we're in a really good position and. It's a bit like last year with the championship, where there's just lots of teams in a similar ballpark. But if we, you know, if we win more and we lose, we're going to be in the playoffs again. We're going to be in the race, and that's all I want. I want us to stay competitive, keep winning games, keep improving. And it's far too early to really be taking the table seriously. However, it is a good indicator of where we're we're probably going to be come the end. When you say that we're in fourth place, you've we've kind of got a top two running away with it, but that might not stay. As it is, um, but other than that, we've we've had a cracking start of the season, and it's very easy to get caught up in the here and now. And we've again we've talked a lot about this on podcasts where people sort of, you know, when we win, the the they're, they're talking about booking Wembley hotels and train tickets in advance, and then when we get beat, it's the end of the world. You know, we can't we can't act like that after every game. You've got to take a a broader approach on on the season, and we've won six out of the eleven games so far to me, given the way we started with, with a bunch of defeats, that's a really good start. So, you know, I'm happy. I'm really happy. And my only gripe is that we've got to wait so long for the next game because <laughs> the form Stoke are in at the minute. I'd love to be playing them this weekend coming up, but it's just unfortunate that um, the internationals are on and we've got to wait a little bit and Alex Neil might, um, might be in a job by the time we play Stoke. We don't know, but I'm still confident. I don't think the, coming out of this, do you think the players are going to be motivated by it, or if they're going to be sort of, is is it going to knock them back a few steps? I don't think so. I think they're going to be on the on the same track as they were going into the Borough game. Just you know, really confident and flying. And the the pro- if anything, they should use it as motivation to to keep kicking on because you know they're probably feeling really let down by the officials and not themselves. And it's not often you get to say that after a four 0 defeat, is it?
2: Yeah I I think there's going to be uh a hint of frustration I think at the academy um for the next couple of weeks and I think they're going to be waiting for their chance to take that frustration out um on somebody and I think Alex Neil is the perfect person uh to take that out on you know so um I think I think the the fixtures have worked kindly in that sense but no look I I agree with everything you said there look fourth in the league I think before... Look, if you take the Borough game out of the equation, because the referee just kind of decided that one, I think we'd lost one in eight before the Borough game, something like that. And we're fourth on the table. And I genuinely... And I, and I might have said this last time, I can't remember, but I genuinely don't think we're getting out of second gear yet. I thought we were we were quite average against Watford, and yet we controlled the game and comfortably would. But we, I, I don't think it was a a, a really... You know, that impressive performance in terms of how we know these players can play because it's just a fantastic team. And like I said, I I think that for them, it was an average performance against Watford, but we just won without really trying. You look at, um, I mean, you you point at the Sheffield Wednesday game. I mean, God, you you think about, you know, a year, 18 months ago, or whenever we played them in the playoff, it wasn't that long ago. But, you know, you, you see the levels we're hitting now. Compared to Sheffield Wednesday, when you think about that playoff semi-final, we went in that playoff semi-final as equals. You know, we were at the same level. Mm. Uh, we are streets ahead of that club now. We are we're in a different world to where Sheffield Wednesday are right now. And you look at things like that, and then you look at us go, you know, finding a way to win at Blackburn when Blackburn were really good on the day. Queen's Park Rangers, you know, yeah. <laughs> we, we kind of, you know, found a way to win then. I mean, you look at some of these games and you still think there's a lot more to come from this team and being fourth in the table, you know, we're up there. And like, as you said, you'd have snatched your hand off for that. Again, you wouldn't be too uh, miffed off if we were just kind of, you know, hanging around the outskirts of uh, the playoffs because, you know, it's only our second season now from league one, but no, we're, we're solidly in those playoff positions. And like you said, I think we've got another couple of gears to come. And the other thing about the international break is Yes, okay. It might be. It, it might be nice if we'd had a game coming up the straight straight away to get it out of our system. But we've got a lot of players who are that close to get back to full fitness. Yeah, yeah. And mm-hmm. you you talked about Dan Neal being missing. You know, get, give it get a chance to get Equa back fit to to get in that midfield position when we're going to be missing Dan Neal things like that. Get get um, Mowbray on the, the training field with with some of these players as well to to get patterns to play you know going and all this sort of stuff because he he hasn't had much of a chance with these new signings not not many of them have been fully fit so i think actually the national breaks quite a good thing at this point and they'll take that frustration into it so yeah i, I think we we're, oh, we're, we're in an unbelievable position and we've got that many players who are just going to get better and better this season I'm already excited to see what's going to happen. You know, you're getting in the festival festive period, loads of games. Um, and then after the new year. So I, I just think we're in a cracking position. Yeah, just mm. see where it takes us.
1: Yeah, nice to end on a positive note, mate. Nice to chat to you again, as always. Thank you very much. No uh thanks to the listeners. Make sure you buy our book <laughs> <Again>? SCFC. <laughs> 365, yes, I've got that advert in my head again. I I didn't want to forget to mention it, uh, which is out this month. At some point, you can pre-order it on the Your Love Supreme website. If you head over there, it's on their merch shop, uh, written mainly by this this good man across from me. So make sure you pick that up for £10. All profits go to Sun and Community Soup Kitchen, who we, of course, uh, support right throughout the year. You might not know, actually, if you listen to the adverts at the start of these podcasts... All of the revenue that those adverts generate goes straight to the Southern Community Soup Kitchen. It direct debits straight in their bank account. We don't make a penny from doing podcasts. We make sure they get every penny of that money. Thanks again, mate. Cheers to the listeners, as I said. We'll be back during the international break. We might have a, a nice little special pod lined up. We don't know yet, but keep your ears peeled and your, your, your downloads refreshed because we will be back at some point. And uh, we'll catch you later.